You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Welcome back to another episode of Hoop and Holler. As always, it's your host, joined by Julio Martinez. And next to me, I finally have my boy back in the house, my roommate, my co-host, my friend, Eddie Sun. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Eddie, you just relocated back out to Los Angeles. Julio, you got stuff going on, I guess. <laughs> but how are we doing today? I'm just happy Eddie's back in town. Yeah. I'll just keep it short like that. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm... I'm happy with the positive reception too. It's nice. To, it's nice to be out here. You know, it's just like it's refreshing. It's been it's been three months. It's kind of nice to just be, you know, in a different place for once in a while. No doubt about it, man. I feel that. I was going back and forth from Memphis. Also, shout out my sister. Just got engaged. I don't know if she listens to this podcast, but if you listen, <laughs> Ebony, congratulations to you and Darnell. Had to do that quick shout out. But let's go ahead and talk some bat basketball, gentlemen. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Starting with the Nets. James Harden, we won't talk in, like, we can talk about the Bucks game, I guess, but I really just want to talk about them in general. They looked really good, um, just having Harden and Katie on the court, and Kyrie's return is imminent. Now he's practicing with the team scheduled to play against the Cavaliers. What's that, tomorrow? Um, yeah. So Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, so I guess the question to pose is how do you see, uh, how have you seen, what have you seen from the Nets so far, and what do you expect now that Kyrie's back in the fold? So something I appreciate about James Harden right now is that he actually looks to the extent that James Harden can be bought in. And, and I, I, you know, you just seem like you, you see a different energy, a different aura, a different response from him, um, you know, in interviews, in post-game interviews after he, you know, he drops triple doubles and, you know, he, he's performing well. And I, I just don't mean a difference from right now to this to this year uh, with John Wall and Boogie in Houston, I mean to his overall kind of attitude that he carried himself with in Houston throughout his whole career with the Rockets. Right now, he see he seems to be not only bought in because I, I think he can realize that KD's the best player here and that you know he can't really mess around and actually just run the show the way he wants to. Um, but that he's in need of a championship. And I feel like he, he buys into the idea that I have to change my game at least a little bit because you still want to, you know, you want James Harden to be James Harden. You don't want him to change his game too much, but you have to change a little bit for, you know, the Brooklyn Nets to get to where they want to be. And I see that in, you know, not only off the court in interviews, but on the court as well. He, his passing, um, you know, Eddie, you know, raves about it. But to me, in Houston, it was more of a, if I'm not doubled, I'm going to pass it. Now, it's more of a, 
you know, let's run some sets. I'm going to get my teammates involved. I'm going to, you know, kick it to Joe Harris a lot, Jeff Green. And he's really pushing the pace and getting his teammates involved. So, I, I and another thing that they are doing with James Harden is doing a lot of pick and rolls with DeAndre Jordan, getting him kind of more involved. Because although I love Kyrie, Kyrie's not the type of dude to be running pick and rolls and passing it to, the, to a big man. And so DeAndre Jordan kind of becomes a liability on the offensive end or just just like a nobody. So he, he he's really unlocking different things for the team. So he's really doing well. He, he's impressed me. I feel like, you know, because you know how Stephen A has been on first take and, and said things like, uh, Katie's going to win MVP and come back play of the year and Brooklyn's going to win the finals and, and all of that stuff. Like, again, I can't tell whether he's doing that just, just to, you know, take a side or, or whether he genuinely feels that way. But I don't really think the the first two games that they've played together, Harden and Durant, have looked like amazing you know like they kind of barely won against the bucks like it was pretty much toe-to-toe all game i mean that's the bucks that's what the bucks not a good team so that's what i'm saying though if you have harden durant and i know they didn't have Kyrie, um but when you add Kyrie in the mix given that talent alone shouldn't they be blowing every single team outside of the lakers out out of the water now when you're a new now when it's a second yeah, game yeah. two games into I it. mean that that's fair I'm just I'm just saying like p- people are saying like oh Brooklyn looks dominant or whatever but you can't look dominant if you're only winning these games like by a thread you know but that's not to say they haven't looked good I think Harden is still getting himself acclimated I know he put up the triple doubles I know he put up big numbers but he also committed I think like nine turnovers in the first we game We don't talk about those he had a good game but triple doubles <laughs> <laughs> good games <laughs> <laughs> but um but i mean that's just to say there's a certain level of unfamiliarity for him like imagine running an isocentric no ball movement offense for six years or, or four years and then you're coming into the system and he has to calculate like players actually moving when 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 they're off the ball so that, that's all stuff that can be worked out i'm not i'm not really um criticizing katie or harden's play or, or how brooklyn looks it's more that again i I'm not sure if I believe that they're going to be as dominant as the sort of three talents together should be. It's all just what I'm saying. Well, that all, that all depends on how Kyrie fits with James Harden specifically. That, that's because, the, yeah, that's because KD is the one that can be off the ball and he doesn't, he can be efficient and get 35 off, you know, 13 shots. So right. it's all dependent on those two. And that, that's sort of the thing, because even watching the games, like the, the KD and, and Harden pick and rolls, that's like a real thing. And even Harden showing inklings of once he passes the ball off to KD, he's actually moving a little bit, right? And he's repositioning himself, getting open threes. Um, and a lot of people will tell you that this is kind of a narrative that's being floated around a lot is that, okay, we just have to stagger the minutes. We have to have some KD uh, Harden minutes. We need to have some KD Kyrie minutes. And those are going to look fine. We've seen what KD looks like with Kyrie. We've seen what KD looks like with Harden. They'll be all right. It's the Harden Kyrie minutes that concern me. I'm not sure how that's going to look, just considering that both of those guys literally need the ball, at least as far as we've seen from them thus far in their careers, they need the ball in their hands to work. So one of the two is going to have to adapt, or both is going to have to adapt their game to some extent for those minutes that it's those two sharing the court together. I really think it won't be an issue late in games. Like late in games, in in late game situations, you just can't... (laughs) You can't double anybody. You can't. If, if you double somebody, you're obviously leaving you know, two other potential MVP uh, players open, and you you might be leaving Joe Harris open, who's a lethal shooter. So you 
you really can't double anybody. And if you get Jeff Green going, which they, you know, they have been, I mean that, and he can play your five potentially. That that's that's dangerous. Um, I I can see the issue. A lot of people are hopping on the train on the bandwagon that you know put James Harden at the one, put Kyrie at the two. Those are their natural positions. My only issue with that is that James Harden just. I just don't want him to fall back into the Rockets version of James Harden. Like, don't have the ball too much in your hand now. Like, you, you're the best pick and roll player on the team, but, you know, I, I don't want you to – it's not like you have Austin Rivers next to you or P.J. Tucker. You have KD and freaking Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris next to you. You got you to gotta be able to, uh, you know, get off the ball and move. So, I, I, I have issues with that, but, you know, I, I see the argument for that. So here's a question for y'all, and you kind of brought it up because you don't think that they look as dominant as they might maybe should, Eddie. Over time, do we see this team, how dominant do we see this team being? Are they S-tier, head and shoulders above the rest of the NBA, or head and shoulders above the rest of the Eastern Conference? What does that look like from your perspective? They got to win the East. I mean, they got to win the East. I know I know. Spencer Dinwiddie isn't there, yeah. and their bench at times, which is why when they only have two guys, they have to stagger their minutes. Um, looks a little bit depleted. It looked well last game only because Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan, you know, two role players played really, really well. And Joe Harris did too. But if those role players aren't going, uh, and if they're performing like Landry Shamit, who I know Eddie loves to trash on, uh, then they're not going to look good if they have two two of the superstars. But if they have three, you know, that that's that's – different obviously it, it changes the whole equation but other than that i mean they they got it in the east I mean, the they, cra- if they don't it's a bust on, on the note of the bench the crazy thing to me is i was looking at the minute distribution of last game right even with just harden and kd the most minutes that anyone off the bench played was bruce brown at 21 minutes like they don't they, everybody every one of their starters ran at least 35 some of them pushing 37 38 which is kind of insane to me and if like that's that's not sustainable. Over like you're gonna have to have an out. Who knows how much they care about the regular season, right? It's obviously playoffs, championship, or bust for them. But you can't play like that through the course of the regular season and expect to have fresh bodies going into the playoffs. You're definitely gonna see some rest games for KD, Kyrie, Harden throughout the season. Bruce Brown, uh, he. I mean, I had never seen him play before. <laughs> Bro was ding people up. I mean, hey, Eddie's, Eddie, been, Eddie's Eddie, been preaching the gospel, man. Eddie's, I mean. He, he brings that energy of he, he's very small. That, that's the only thing about him, like the only negative about him. He, he's very, very like short uh, uh, against the players he tries to guard. But he's like an animal on the court and not really, you know, a, a Patrick Beverly type of nasty type dude who's like annoying. Like he's actually like a good energy type dude. So he, he impressed me. He impressed me. Mm. So maybe I wasn't so crazy after all. No, you were. You were. <laughs> but um, I think, again, I, I feel like we all have to say, like, I think it's pretty clear that they should win the East. Um, I, I don't think it's they're still head and shoulders above anybody. Like, I think Milwaukee will give them problems, though. Just this game seems to be kind of, you, you know, like, you kind of can see the matchup. Like, Dante DiVincenzo, like, can guard one of their superstars pretty well. Like Chris Middleton can can do that sort of job. I know everyone joked about Giannis no. guarding Jeff Green the entire game, bro. But listen, that's what he does on defense. Um, I, I mean Drew Holiday as well. Like I forgot, I forgot how to let, mention him. Let, 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 let me just tell you this really fast. I know 
and I've said before, they're the most switchable team, probably the most, maybe the most lethal team on defense in the NBA. Um, but the thing about it is that, okay, here, here's my thing about numbers. And obviously we all know that numbers can be like superficial. Yeah. Giannis might've had 27 and whatever, however many rebounds and however many assists he had, but bro did not play a good game. He did not play a good game. Like, Numbers can tell you all that they want, but from my eye test will easily tell me that Giannis did not play a good game. When DeAndre Jordan can guard that man the whole game, and, and you know he's not going to take advantage of that? Well, okay. It, to, in fairness, it wasn't DeAndre Jordan sticking him one-on-one, right? They were doing the wall thing. Like, everybody's trying that shit now, right? But um, I see your point. I, I see your point. It wasn't his like best You game. neutralize Giannis, the, the offense. It's not done because, obviously, you, you have – Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton looks like he's taking a step forward, uh, not in his game, but more in kind of the offense and, and taking control. But yeah, you, you neutralize Giannis. Drew, as much as I love Drew, Drew and Chris isn't enough. It's not enough. I just, I don't know. I feel like defensively, that's a matchup that I think works best against what the Brooklyn Big Three has. I, I know like we haven't seen Philly play them at their you know strength yet, so... That's the only other team that I'm still kind of interested interested about, but like I don't know, I I just don't really think they're they're the sort of team that can win every Eastern Conference series in five games. You know, like there's going to be some series, especially if they go up against a, a Milwaukee or Philly that goes seven. I think so. Perhaps here's I, I I'm I'm almost inclined to agree with you because I feel like there's going to be some games and and I don't even mean it that like they're going to not try for two games like I think it's going to be like a hard fought sort of seven game series. But here's my thing: I don't like I can't envision a situation in which they lose. So even though there might be like some hard fought series, they I don't think this team can lose just because when we think about big threes and how they've existed in the past, right? You think about uh, Clay, KD, and uh, Curry. You think about Love. LeBron, Kyrie, yada, yada. Um, rarely do you have, I don't think ever, have you seen three guys on the same team whose games are virtually unstoppable, right? Where you're essentially at their mercy the entire time, right? When we talk about Kevin Durant, you can't defend Kevin Durant. I don't care if you got Chris Middleton. I don't care if you got Giannis. I don't care if you got Bam Adebayo. Like, whoever the fuck you think of the best defender in the NBA, Kawhi Leonard, you're not defending Kevin Durant. You're at his mercy of whether or not he's going to make the shot. Kyrie Irving, you can try to bother him, right? But you're essentially at the mercy of whether or not he's going to, you know, do the finishes that he does and makes the shots that he does. Same thing with James Harden. If he's on, he's on. If he's off, he's off. But you're really not affecting him a whole lot. That's why it was interesting you brought up the point about, like, Drew Holiday and DiVincenzo. Yeah, they're, like, good defenders, and you can throw them at them. But at the end of the day, they're getting funny. Like, if, if they're on, like, there's there's not a thing you can do about it with any defender in the NBA. So I don't think we've ever seen three guys on the same team whose games are, are you're essentially at their mercy anytime you step on the court. And because of that, I can't see them losing because at least two of those three guys are going to be cooking on a given night, right? So um, rare is going to be the night where all three are off. And, and if one of those guys is on, you always have a shot in any game. I mean, one... Or I guess the two ways that they could lose a series is one, you know, the defensive issues that everyone's going to bring up. And two, you know, if you have defenders that bother these shot makers enough, you're going to, you know, force them into volume shooting kind of games like like what P.J. Tucker did to Kevin Durant. You, you, in those you can't series. affect shot makers enough without doubling them. 
you can affect James Harden, you know, just like the Lakers did, because they doubled him when he crossed half court in the last in, in the in last year's playoffs. But you can't double uh, on that. Team. You can't double anyone on that team. I mean, again, I, I I'll agree that I think they're they're going to make the finals and come out of the East. Um, but if they don't, I'm I'm not going to be someone who's shocked or anything. I think a lot of people will be shocked. I'm not going to be one of them. Hmm. Well, yeah. Again, for me, it's it's just about the unstoppability, man. It's like one of the and again, Harden still has some adjusting to do. It's going to be interesting what happens when Kyrie gets in the fold. But you just look at those three players in a vacuum. At least two of the three of them are going to be on a given night. It's rare that you step on a court and all three of them are off. But let's go ahead and move on, man. So you had Harden demand a trade. It seems like it's going to work out. Um, but Julio, I know you wanted to address the idea of just superstars demanding trades in general. Asking, not even asking, but to demanding to leave, you know, an unfavorable situation, whether that's good or bad for the NBA. You seem to have some thoughts on it, so I'm gonna hand you the floor first, man. So the 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 kind of theme of my kind of argument or discussion, whatever, on this topic is, I, I just I, I want to ask people, like, why do you like, why do people think? And obviously, this is rhetorical, but what I, I just wonder, like, why do people think? Um, that NBA players forcing trades to, you know, their, their preferred destination is a bad thing. And, and I'm not even going for the argument of, oh, you know, if I had a job at ESPN and I was a top broadcaster, I could quit and go to Fox Sports because these guys aren't treating me right. I'm not even talking about from the player's perspective, you know, uh, uh, for the benefit of them, because a, a, any other employee in the world can do the same thing. For me, I'm talking about strictly from an NBA perspective. Now, a lot of people think that, you know, these super teams created by players causes uh, uh, a one kind of a one-sided kind of league, ju- just like the Warriors, I guess. And that's obviously the first team that really comes to people's minds. But in my opinion, NBA players forcing trade to their preferred destinations, as we've seen throughout the past few years, in my opinion, causes parity. And I think that's beautiful for the NBA. Parity in the fact that, okay, Drew Holiday wants to go to a winning winning organization. And obviously that wasn't the right fit for him to be on a rebuilding roster. He goes to Milwaukee. AD obviously goes to join Braun. KD, whether he would have stayed in Golden State or he goes to Brooklyn. Now he goes to Brooklyn with Kyrie. You have another super team there. And and so now Kawhi and PG want to team up with the Clippers. You have four to five teams who can maybe not win the championship feasibly, but who who can really put up a fight against each other. And I think that's way better, in my opinion, than having, you know, every NBA superstar, I I guess, divided into 30 different teams, in my opinion. And the thing about it is that, the, I, I was just trashing stats. Stats kind of back it up, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny because in this past decade since the decision, we've seen more championships in a, uh, different teams win a championship in a decade than any decade uh, in the in the three or four previous decades. Mm. We've had hmm. four, I think, in this decade. And in the previous one, I think it was three. And in the previous one, I think it was two. Um, and, and so I think we're, we're dawning on a new era in the NBA where, yes, players want to team up, but they also want to debunk and beat that next super team. 
I would have loved if Giannis or, or, you know, Damian Lillard, you know, those two would have teamed up in either Portland or Milwaukee. I think, again, that would have been another player forcing a trade and that would have been beautiful for the NBA because we would be like, that's another team on the map that can easily or feasibly win the championship. I, I think there are ways that, you know, players forcing trades, not it, it doesn't cause or, or it can cause parity for the NBA. That, that, that's my thing. And for, you know, for people arguing that, you know, NBA ratings are going down. Well, there's a lot of reasons why NBA ratings have gone down. It's the Daryl Morey China thing. It's the, it, it was the election thing. It was a whole bunch of reasons. And there's going to be other ways. Obviously the NBA is by far the most popular league on social media. There are other ways, you know, as we go into into this next decade, into the future, that, that the NBA is going to be able to monetize on social media. And they've already, you know, uh, they're beginning to do that. So I think it's the right move for the NBA for Adam Silver to empower players to keep doing what they're doing. You know, there's another metric that backs you up as well, is that some of the highest rating, like, national games and finals were those Steph and KD Warriors teams, even though it seemed like everyone complained that, you know, they stacked the deck or whatever, but more people watched that team in those series and those national games than any other team. So there's that. But I'll be honest, I didn't even think of think about player empowerment in the sort of way that you've presented it. Like, I've never even thought about it in that perspective that parity can be, you know, like, a bunch or like a few but like a number of like very good teams vying for the championship while you know a, a lot of other teams kind of are, are kind of out of the mix but I don't know that that's interesting I don't I don't even know if if I have a argument for it I, I think that that's an interesting perspective I just mm-hmm. never really considered yeah I, I didn't think of that either just the idea like it was funny because you said it produces parody I was like wait no, it does not. It produces a lot of a, a small number of really good teams. But to be fair, that could be better, right? Because if we're talking about, like you said, dispersing all of the, the stars, right? There's not 30 superstars in the NBA. So it's not like we can attach a superstar to every team. So if we start balancing these things, just saying, okay, well, not everybody can have LeBron, right? But maybe two teams can have, you know, uh, fucking, who's a team is Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo and they get to go toe-to-toe with LeBron or even what we've seen in the past with the Warriors so yeah that was an interesting point um yeah and I just want to correct myself um it's been seven not four teams who have won that was also uh, really I, I didn't I didn't even that didn't even register with me as like a, a thing that people might use to quantify parity in the NBA but it makes sense because it's like again you're giving different teams opportunities to win championships at different times rather than having just magic johnson and kareem right because there was a time where it was like well shit i'm not on the lakers or the celtics so i guess i'm just not going to win a championship in my career that's okay <laughs> like that's tough but um no i mean that's that's an interesting argument man i know before we move on i also want to say that i think i have more sympathy for and i know we're gonna we're gonna talk about this player soon um i have more sympathy for a guy like LeBron and you know a guy like Kawhi and kind of empowering himself and, and moving himself to a situation where he has the best chance to win because I'm watching Steph this year and sometimes it's like you watch a superstar player languish on a mediocre or average team and you even had Steve Kerr come out the other day and say you know this year we're just trying to make the playoffs and hopefully next year we can be championship contenders 
you know that if this was a LeBron team or this was any other superstar, like they, they simply would not allow that sort of talk. Like there's no way any other superstar is allowing a coach to be like, we're not, we're not trying to win the championship this year. So again, I think this year more than any other year, you know, I, I used to maybe lambast a little bit that, you know, like a player like LeBron can always uh, uh, have a chance at a championship because he always has the best teammates around him. Well, you know, like sometimes for star players, I guess that makes sense. Like why, why waste even a year? Because again, the, the time is so precious, right? Like being mediocre or on a mediocre team. I, I mean, it, it, it's so frustrating. You guys know that my favorite player ever is Kobe. And even he asked for a damn trade. Did they trade him? No. But he still asked for a trade. That's why I don't use that argument that, you know, Kobe stayed with one team. He powered through bad teams and he, you know, got his two titles without Shaq. It's a dumb argument to me. So I think watching superstars not only move creates a great offseason for the NBA and big topics, but then teaming up with other superstars it's just like, oh, sh- like, shoot. Like, I cannot wait to see that. And them going against, you know, this other duo or trio in, in the league. It's super exciting. It's exciting. Right. Well, real quick before we move on to our final topic, I want to get a prediction from y'all. Who could be the next superstar, right? So, no Bradley Beal. He's a star. I don't think he's a superstar. Who could be the next superstar to request a trade in the NBA? I think Bradley Beal's a superstar, but fine. A superstar. We, we don't, we don't uh, like to, the league has eight superstars to me, and you could make the argument that like maybe a guy who's not currently a superstar might ascend to the level of superstar by the time he demands a trade. But to me, Bradley Beal's not one of those seven, eight guys. That but is there a superstar on a bad team other than Steph? I mean, Lillard's not going to request a trade, but is yeah. he a super? I, I think he is, but. I mean, your your options you're looking at like a you uh, a Luca. It's, pro- it's probably Paul George if we're being honest. We put Paul George in the superstar. I, I can I, if you think Zach Levine is a superstar, I I'd be willing know. to go well, back. I, I love Zach Levine, but Zach Levine ain't no superstar. Okay, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, Stephen Curry, Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic. Maybe Kyrie pulls something out of his ass and just asks for a trade to, <laughs> you know, the Knicks to try to get at. <laughs> You know, try to beat Brooklyn, but no, I, I I don't really see another superstar right now. I see a few stars, maybe maybe Cat Beal. Cat would be a good option. I think Cat was probably the closest thing to a superstar that could probably do. Yeah, um, it, and it, it it'd be interesting because I want to see guys team up too. I want to see guys, you know, put up a fight against uh, uh, KD, Kyrie, Bron, and AD uh, against all these guys. So it, it's exciting. All right, so you mentioned LeBron James. Let's go ahead and get into our last topic of the day. This is one that Eddie really wanted to address, so I'll hand it off to you first. This feud between LeBron and Stephen Curry, is it still alive? Is it still as as fiery as it was back in 2015-16? The the dominant 73-9 Warriors, 3-1 lead, all that good stuff. You know the history. Mm -hmm. Is it still as intense as it was is it still as vibrant as it was in, the, in that period? So some people even say that st- the Steph-LeBron rivalry was never even actually a real rivalry. And I mean, like, I can't really disagree with that because, you know, they only met up like two times during the regular season and most of the finals series weren't even that close. But the truth is, and I kind of noticed it after this recent Warriors-Lakers game, I kind of went into the game thinking, okay, the, the Lakers are clearly a better team. 
LeBron has a superstar teammate. Steph has, you know, Kelly Oubre. Um, and, like, obviously, whether the Lakers wiped the deck with, with the Warriors or, you know, like what happened, the Lakers kind of played lackadaisical and let the Warriors win, um, that they just wouldn't care about it. But, you know, kind of what LeBron James said post game when he was kind of complaining about the refs, complaining about they called a travel on him, but but didn't call it a travel on Draymond the possession after. Um, Julio, you mentioned that it seemed like he really wanted to win. It just kind of reminded me that, you know, there was there's still this energy, you know, and it's been a while because the Warriors weren't good last year. The Lakers weren't good two years ago. But something about LeBron like, I think he hates losing to Steph more than he hates losing to any other player in the league. And, and I don't think LeBron hates Steph or anything, but you could tell when it was, you know, Warriors, Cavs, too. He, I don't, I just think he doesn't like losing to Steph. And, you know, I, I don't want to buy too much into the, the, the Twitterverse, too. But there's also a different energy between, you know, the, the Warriors and Steph camp and, like, the LeBron camp, too. It's like, it's kind of, like, reinvigorating to, to see that reignited and all that. But... I mean, I guess a question to you guys is whether you guys thought that the Braun Steph rivalry was ever a thing and whether it's still like a living, breathing thing now. I, I mean, I thought the I didn't I didn't think it was um, you know, gonna be a topic on the show, but I mean I saw it in LeBron's eyes at the end of the game. He went throughout he went three and a half quarters in that game without, you know, a care in the world, and then he realized, oh shoot, the game is tied. I'm about to lose to this little light skin ass, weak ass mother, you know, you know what? Um, and you could tell that, uh, in my opinion, you can tell from a player's reactions to refs calls, how much they care about a, a, a given game. If, you know, the, the Lakers have won, I think we've won maybe five in a row thus far. And the last five games have been, we've been rolling teams by like 20, 15, but like crazy stuff like that. And LeBron's averaging like 27 minutes a game. He hasn't been trying all season long. We've been lackadaisical all season long. And we entered the, the game, this the, the game against the Warriors the same way until the game got tied. And then I could see LeBron actually trying. I didn't really see AD trying, but I saw LeBron trying. And I, and I believe that it's the same thing that you're mentioning, Eddie, that you're arguing for that, he just really hates losing to Steph because there was a time in 2016 when, you know, Steph won that unanimous MVP where, oh, shoot, Steph's the best player in the world now. Um, and, and there was some of that conversation. And maybe LeBron was, you know, insulted by that and really hated to see him win that championship against him because Steph is like a little dude who you really think that you can push around. But, you know, he, he he's he's bad on the court, so... Um, I, I really believe that too. That he that he completely hates losing to Steph and Draymond. I think that Draymond thing was a thing back then when Draymond was actually you know pretty good and not doing lucky left hand layups and travels and you know that they're not going to call, but they called against LeBron, which was baffling to me. But it, it's fine, it's fine. Um, but I yeah, mean, you, you know what it is now. I mean, they're both huh? the same agency. They can't hate each other that much. Yeah, yeah. No, that that's true. But I, I do really think that the feud is still there between those two. And, and it's good. It's good for the league. You know, that competitive fire. Again, like you mentioned, they don't hate each other. But I do think it, that it's a real thing. So maybe this is just my perspective. I mean, it is my perspective, I'm saying. But I never really viewed it as LeBron versus Steph. 
because I don't know, it's kind of hard for me to look at things as rivalries when you don't kind of go at each other on the court. And rarely do we see like a, a LeBron versus Steph possession, right? Comes to mind that block that he had in the finals at one point where he kind of looked back at him. Um, and then Le- or Steph kind of had some threes over LeBron at some point. Um, but rarely do we see the two go head to head, right? Those to me like register a little bit more as tangible, palpable rivalries when I see LeBron have to go guard Kawhi Leonard or have to step to Kevin Durant. Those kind of it, it, those kind of hit a little bit harder. So I always kind of viewed it as LeBron versus the culmination of what was the Warriors, which included Steph. Steph was at the forefront, but it also included Draymond and it also included Clay and it also included Iguodala. That was the rivalry to me was LeBron versus the Warriors less than LeBron versus Stephen Curry himself. Um, Curry just more being the vehicle through which the Warriors operated. So it's not as alive as it obviously was, in my opinion, just because that same Warriors iteration no longer exists. Um, but clearly there's still a little bit of blood there, right? In, in, in that there's still remnants of it, that Curry's still there, that Steve Kerr's still there, that Draymond's still there. I don't think he ever, a guy like LeBron James never steps on the court and cares about losing, but I would agree that there's definitely some more energy there. But the real rivalry to me, and you alluded to it, Eddie, has always been more in the Twitterverse, the LeBron stands versus the Curry stands, because they operate on two completely opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of their observation of basketball, and they really hate each other. And honestly, it's petty on both sides. It's kind of goofy on both sides at this point to me. Like, LeBron stands a literally, like, relish in Curry playing bad. Like, at the beginning of the year, they are like, yup, look at him now. Like, you know, like, bro, how do you enjoy this? And a little bit on the other side, too. And I can understand the idea of punching up at LeBron a little bit just because he's the king, right? Um, But still, it's like, yeah, folks be relishing a little too much in other players' failures, which is kind of goofy to me. But that's besides the point. Point being, I never really viewed it as a, a rivalry between Stephen Curry and LeBron James' players, more so the idea of the Warriors versus LeBron. But I think that's what makes it kind of unique. You know, like, I think people talked about, like, Michael Jordan in the past and how normally the best players he went up against were... Uh, like big men, so it's not like Michael Jordan was guarding a, a Patrick Ewing and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But you know, something like the Knicks and the Bulls is still a heated rivalry, and I feel like this might be the closest we have to a a, a true, really kind of rivalry because you can't you can't convince me that LeBron and and Kawhi like actually have a, a sort of competitive fire when they go against each other. Oh yeah, they do. It's like I mean, they play hard, but it's not like. It's not something where you feel like LeBron cares extra about it. I do. I, I feel like it, it. Like I feel like at that point in time, at least, I don't know whether the energy is still there now. But definitely last year, it it felt like LeBron felt stepped to by Kawhi Leonard, and Kawhi was intentionally trying to step to LeBron James. So the rivalry was there, and I think we saw that in the few games that they did match up. Even though there were times where LeBron was hesitant to guard Kawhi. In that game, it always goes back to that one weekend where LeBron almost stole the MVP, right? But like that was the weekend where it really felt like the energy was like, okay, we're leading into the playoffs, we're on the back half of the season, um, things are ramping up between these two teams. And had you know the Clippers not fumbled the bag, I think it would have really felt we would have really felt it, and we kind of got that robbed because you know Jamal Murray, Bubble Murray. But um, no, I feel like that rivalry was definitely there. But um, do we, but do we think like LeBron? hates losing to the Clippers or hates losing to Kawhi. Yes. Because I don't because I don't think it's, it's as strong as this, this whole the, LeBron Steph thing. Bro, to the Clippers, Warriors. yes. I mean, not so much. I wouldn't say as much to Kawhi because Kawhi's not, uh, uh, I, I guess, as threatening or was as threatening to his 
kind of legacy and uh, his position in the NBA hierarchy as much as Steph was. Maybe it's because obviously Steph is an overall better player in history than Kawhi, yes. But it's also because Steph actually has, uh, and this is not a shot at Kawhi, you know, has more of a personality and media can, the, the sports media landscape can, I guess, push him up more and build him up further to, I, I guess, take down the king. Um, but the Clippers as a whole, I, I would say that yes, because Patrick Beverly and Montrez, now he's on the Lakers, obviously, would get on LeBron's nerves, in my opinion. No. It's not so much about Kawhi as much as it is about the the Clippers. Now, I will say, right, like it, LeBron's a guy who we've seen his kind of people try to challenge and take his crown at various points throughout his career. Um, and Stephen Curry is the only guy to really step to LeBron and say, nah, this is my MVP. Nah, I'm going to win it unanimously. Nah, this is my championship. You know what I mean? Like, no, at no point has Kawhi Leonard taken a championship or an MVP from LeBron James. At no point, uh, Kevin Durant might have taken an MVP at some point, And obviously, he got some championships after he joined the Warriors. But Stephen Curry, to me, is the only player in NBA history to have tangible accolades that were stripped from LeBron James at a given point in time. Um, that you know LeBron might have felt like he earned besides like the defensive player of the year or whatever so I will say that the energy is probably there for Stephen Curry specifically to an extent but again I still I feel like that's more towards the Warriors than it is specifically Stephen Curry I mean I, I always say that you know the energy is different because the kind of you know a uh, uh, basketball media verse and just the the fandom kind of anointed Steph Curry as the golden boy you know, once Braun went back to Cleveland when, when he was supposedly, you know, going to take control of his own kind of legacy and all that. And it kind of got disrupted by the whole Warriors run spearheaded by Steph. But, I mean, I say that some people think I'm being crazy or, or, or whatever. I, I'm reaching too much into it. But, again, I, I think the Warriors Braun thing or the Steph Braun thing is, is just something special. And it's kind of cool because this is the first um, competitive, like, Lakers or Braun versus Warriors matchup since the end of the Cavs days to me like two or three seasons ago so you know it was the first time in a while I feel like we got one of those really competitive like truly competitive games okay I was gonna say it's a game not you know we're and as much as I hate tooting the Lakers horn because I hate being that Laker fan um you know my team is the best we're gonna sweep everyone oh, no, you guys I will sweep that like, like that no doubt but yeah, I mean, yeah, we're obviously way better than the Warriors, and it's because we. I, I'm so happy that they won. Like you guys don't understand the joy I had when LeBron missed that last shot. Like it makes me actually so happy because if he would have made that shot, we would have not tried for like the next ten games again. And um, you know, th- this makes us regroup and, and everything. So I, I only wish that LeBron can be the same type of player next year, and Kate and, and Clay comes back healthy next year. So possibly for for a, a real kind of rebooting of that rivalry can occur maybe in the playoffs. It, it, I feel like in, in this era, right, where we, we don't really have team rivalries anymore just because people jump ship so often, um, we've kind of been what, – what's the word I'm looking for? We really just haven't had a ton of, like, player rivalries. They've kind of fizzled out to an extent, right? Um, you've had Kobe and LeBron, even though they really never saw each other in the finals. Um, 
the only real point being the only real player rivalry that I feel like we got a, a sort of culmination or a finality on was LeBron James and Stephen Curry. Um, perhaps maybe KD and Stephen Curry, but I wouldn't. I, it doesn't feel quite the same just because of the way KD got his champ, his first championships. But um, yeah, I, and, I feel and, like that and, was in my point. opinion. I feel like we never even got like a fair a Stephen Braun kind of finals matchup in the way that we wanted. Yeah, we did. How so? I, I don't think we did because I don't count the KD years sure. like, at all. Like at all. Sure. But, you know, in the first year, obviously, K-Love and Kyrie went down. Yeah. So I don't count that one. In the second one that LeBron won, I really wanted to see Draymond there the whole series. Uh, obviously, the game. I was tra- he missed the game. <laughs> so what? No, I mean that that was definitely the turning point. That that can, that much can't be denied. But again, in the same vein, like things happen for a reason. Draymond hadn't really handled himself well throughout the entire playoffs. Very iffy technical call. Like let's be real about it. My, yeah, my, my, my point, over him, my, right? Yeah, my my point being is that I want everybody. I wanted everybody to be healthy. Obviously, no KD. Um, and, and that bench mob that they had, I know Eddie doesn't really think of that bench in, in high regard as, as much as I do, but you know, that same bench, no KD, no injuries, no suspensions. I wanted to see that. And I, I feel like to me, we never got it. In my I mean, that's what the 2K simulators for. There's always going to be some variable that, that that's beyond everybody's control. But any, any parting words on, on that point before we get up out of here? Uh, uh, Caruso shooting 58% from three, so I hope he can keep that up. Speaking of some of my players shooting from three, Lou Dort dropped 20 today, three or six from three, keeping up his 40% from three range. Like, it's light, bro. It's light, bro. And he was putting the ball on the ground, making passes, doing finishes. I'm telling you. And uh, forgetting how to play defense sometimes. Bro, nah. That that ain't never happened for Lou Dort. Now y'all greasing it because Lou Lou Dort's on, on clamp mode, but. Anyway, I had to get my, my shout-out to Lou Dora in the podcast. You know, that's the obligatory shout-out. But, as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Go check out the Twitter. You know, Eddie's always tweeting about good games and triple doubles and whatnot. Go check all that fun stuff out. Um, check out the Instagram. Well, that's besides the point. Thank you guys, as always, so much for tuning in and all the support. It's very much appreciated. We'll be here every Wednesday and Saturday. Stay tuned. We will see you next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler Podcast.